This morning, if you have your word, we're going to be in John 3. Um, and uh, I'm so excited about what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going to pray again here in just a second. And I know maybe we've prayed a lot this morning, but you'll get over it or you won't. Um, so I'm going to do it. Because I know, uh, standing up here, I'm in desperate need of God to do something, right? And uh, you can sit here and listen to my opinion this morning, or you can listen to what God would say this morning, and I would rather hear what God would say. And um, to do that, man, I I just feel like we need one more moment just to go into the presence of God. I I don't know if you feel like this or not, but some of of us this morning are holding back. Maybe maybe it's me. uh, I don't know, but I'm gonna I'm gonna find out in the in the moment here, um, because man, I would hate to miss what God's gonna do, and I'd hate to miss what God's gonna say. I mean, it, it's an amazing thing that we do here. Um, church is not a moment where we come around and we sing some songs and we hear somebody talk, but it's a moment where we can come into the presence of the Creator of the universe. And I will not half-heartedly approach that throne. Um, so this morning, uh, I'm gonna pray again. I'm just gonna. Give us a moment maybe to pray together um, that God would open up our hearts, even, even if maybe we're, we're obstinate to that this morning. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, just tear down the walls. God, last week we heard the story of Jericho. God, where the walls were um, maybe even insurmountable, maybe there was no way over, no way in. Um, and God, I feel like this morning there, there's a spiritual wall in this place, and we've circled it a couple times, and nothing's really happened. Um, God, we had a few moments where maybe we even thought, oh, this is the moment, and, and the wall stood still. But God, this morning, what I believe and what I know is, God, that I cannot tear down walls. I can't tear down physical walls, and I can't tear down spiritual walls. But God, this morning, again, I'm circling the wall. I'm coming around in, in this prayer, and I'm just saying, God, you said you'd give us this land, so give us this land. God, this morning I pray that even, even now that wall is crumbling. God, that even now the, the presence of the Lord is ushered into this place. And God, we won't hold back. God, this cannot be a year defined by not holding back if we already are holding back. God, it's a scary place to enter the presence of God. God may take your heart, but you get his. And what he has is better. So this morning, God, we submit to you. God, this morning we submit to your will and your word, and we just ask, God, that you do an amazing thing in this place. God, that all the half-hearted approaches this morning will burn away. God, why approach if we're going to halfway do it? God, all the vain attempts at trying to get there by our own effort this morning, just tear them down. I can never get into the presence of God on my own. That's why there is Jesus. So that God, at the end of the day, the only thing we have is gratitude for what you've done in these moments. God, I love you, and I'm praying for power like never before this morning. And if it's not, if it's not, God, it's a waste. So God, this morning, just move. 
God, this morning, let us see your fire. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray, amen. Um, This morning, uh, with the help of God, I'm going to attempt to uh, talk about probably the most well-known verse in the entire Bible. Not that one. (laughs) Whoever said Jesus wept, that was a good try. Um, (laughs) This is the second most well-known, maybe. (laughs) Um, But maybe you got tipped off when I said John 3, that this morning we're going to talk about um, John 3, 16, and um, that's intimidating to me. I'll be completely honest. Some of you guys heard that I was going to do that, and you were immediately disappointed, and that's why it's intimidating to me. Oh, man, we got that. We've mastered that. We learned that. We know that, right? I've got that one memorized. Teach me something else, Brad. Oh, I've I've got that one down. I I can quote it to you. Teach me something else. But the truth of it is, man, the, the fear that I have in my heart is we understand the words, but we've never come to the understanding of what it means. Maybe we've memorized it. Maybe we can quote it. But in reality, do we get it? We're going to kick off a series that's going to go at least one week today. um, And we'll see where it goes from there. um, Called We Are Loved. And this morning, if you don't get anything else out of anything else, I just want you to hear that. We are loved. You are loved. Um, So many of us get our kind of worth based off how many likes we get on social media, don't we? Oh, I put this picture up there and only got shared three times. I don't have any friends. Oh, I put something on Instagram and only seven people liked it. Nobody likes me, right? It's our culture today. We, we get our worth from other things and other people. And, and, and in reality, man, if we could come around the idea that we are loved... No matter what Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or even your friends and family show you, we are loved. Man, I believe it would change the fuel on which we live our lives. And this morning we're going to talk about John 3.16. And like I said, that's intimidating to me. Maybe that's why I've prayed so much this morning. Um, But in John 3... um, to set some context around this verse, we see um, a man named Nicodemus come to Jesus. Nicodemus was a, a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. And not only was he a, a religious leader, but he was a leader of the religious leaders. He says that he was a, a leader of the Jews, if you look there in verse 1. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. And that's like a elite, basically, supreme court of the Jewish world. It's 23 men who were elected uh, to make all the religious rulings over, over the city of Jerusalem in this case. What that tells us about Nicodemus is he's not like some, uh, he, he's not some new kid on the block in, in religion. The Nicodemus is a man that uh, is not only been raised in, in this religion, he's a man who keeps the law. He's a man who knows the Bible better than anybody in this room. I don't really care what you think you know. He knows it better than you. He, uh, maybe to put this in perspective for you, would be like a, a, a Billy Graham, um, if, if you're older, or a, a Louis Giglio, or Francis Chan, if you're younger. Um, he, he's, he's, a, he's a ruler of, of the people, basically. He's a man that the city would have looked to um, and, and thought, man, he's, he's amazing. He's a man that's used to people stopping in the street. Oh, man, that's Nicodemus. That's really cool. Can I have your picture, Nicodemus? They don't have pictures then, but whatever. Um, 
but he's a ruler of the Jews. He's a man that lives, I'll be honest, better than you live. He's a man that talks better than you talk and acts better than you act and prayed far better than any of us could ever pray. He's a man that knew more about the Bible Old Testament side anyway than any of us will ever know. And he comes to Jesus at night. And he comes uh, seemingly to ask a question. He never gets that question out um, because Jesus interrupts him and gets to the heart of what's on his heart and he starts talking about salvation. Isn't that crazy? There's a religious leader, uh, like a leader of the religious leaders that comes to Jesus, knows the Bible better than anybody else, knows prayer better than anybody else, probably, uh, probably dresses more like a, a religious person than even Jesus does. And he comes to Jesus, and Jesus starts talking about salvation to this guy. Now, see, to us, that's crazy. Because if I just did a quick survey this morning, and I was like, how many of you guys know Jesus? We'd probably all raise our hand, either because we do or because we don't want somebody to look at us weird. And here's this, and we kind of have this mentality that we know salvation, so why talk about it? We know about the cross, so why talk about the cross? We know John 3.16, so why talk about John 3.16? We know about the empty tomb, so don't go there unless it's Easter. We want to hear how to live better. We want to hear how to act better. We want to hear, and that's exactly what Nicodemus was looking for. How can I get to heaven? How can I make sure? Because you seem to be a dude that, that knows God. Jesus, I know you are a carpenter. I know you've never really been to religious school before. I know that, like, on paper, I probably have a better degree than you do. But you do miracles, and I don't really know how to do that. So obviously, there's some kind of connection you have. So I just want to make sure, like, I know the law, and I do the law. Like, am I good? That's what he's coming for. And Jesus starts talking about salvation, now, for those of us who maybe know what salvation is, but we don't really know what salvation is because it's a church word, basically what that is is we are sinners, right? Let's come around that fact this morning. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners because you're not perfect. And to not be perfect is to be a sinner. You're a sinner. And because of your sin, you are separated from God. You can't be with a perfect being if you're not perfect. That's how that works out. You are separated from a perfect God. And except for the intervention of said perfect God, you're headed towards the wrath of God. So salvation is, I'm doomed unless something happens and that something is enacted by God. That's salvation. And Jesus here starts talking to this religious man about salvation. You can kind of imagine hearing this. You'd be blown back. Why? Okay, that's not necessarily what I, I wanted to hear. And he, he even comes at it from a, a side of being born again. This is that section of the Bible. If you're Baptist, it was born again. Um, but it's born again. Jesus looks at him, you must be born again. And just like maybe some of us today, you look at that and you're like, what does that even mean? Right? That's, that's exactly what, what Nicodemus said, actually. What, what are you even talking about? See, we know that to be a, a, a Pharisee, you have to be at least 30 years old. So he's 30, and he's a ruler of the Pharisees, so he's probably much older than that. And this man in his old age is thinking, how am I, an adult, going to redo birth? 
because I'm just looking size-wise. Like, even if his mom's still there, like, that's not, I was littler the first time, right? So I don't know how that's going to happen. That's How am I, I going to do that, Jesus? Like, how do you be born again? It's a confusing concept, actually. Try telling somebody about Jesus and throwing words like salvation and born again. They're going to be more confused when you come out than they are when you go in. And Jesus says, you must be born again. And he says, I don't understand what you're talking about. And he says, you've got to be born by the water and the spirit. And what he's saying is you've got to be naturally born. Congratulations, you're halfway there. But you also have to be spiritually born. You have to become spiritually alive. Nicodemus, well, how do you do that? How do, how do you be spiritually alive? Because I, I don't know of a button that I pressed to get here the first time, do you? So I don't really know of a button that I can press to get here the second time. See, what Jesus says over the next few verses is, you didn't really have much to do with getting here the first time, did you, Nicodemus? The wind blows, you have no idea where it comes from, it just happens, right? Same way with spiritual birth. See, the truth of it is, the first time you got here, it was totally a product of somebody else. You didn't elect to be born or decide to be born. You don't get that decision that I know of. Uh, I didn't. I just kind of showed up on the planet and welcomed to life, right? And what Jesus is saying here is spiritually, it's the same way. You don't get to decide to be spiritually born. Just like the first birth was enacted by uh, your mom and dad, the second birth is totally enacted by God. That's totally different for us, isn't it? Because most of us think that salvation is a decision where we come to the moment where we're like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Jesus can be the Son of God. I can kind of get that. And, and I do see that he died on a cross, and I can kind of get that, and that makes sense to me. And, and I guess I'm a sinner because I said that bad thing yesterday, so that makes me a sinner. Uh, so I need salvation, so I'm going to come and, and, and say a prayer. And we think that's all on us. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Some of you guys, spiritual birth maybe started that way. Oh, yeah, I don't, want to, I don't want to go to hell, so I better pray this prayer, right? But the way Jesus talks, man, it's nothing like that. It's totally enacted by God. And what that looks more like is it's not an intellectual thing where we come to like some argument and we finally agree that maybe Jesus can be the Son of God and we, and we maybe are sinners and, and then we do need salvation. But it's a moment where God just opens our eyes. I was reading back here before church starts, and it was talking about this veil that lies over our faces. And the only way that we can see through the veil is just God comes and he peels back the veil. He pulls away the veil. And that's what he's saying here to Nicodemus. And you look at that and you're like, why are you saying that to this man, right? Why, why, would, you, why would you feel the need to have that conversation with this man? Why does that even make sense today that you would have that conversation with this man? Because this man on paper is better than anybody in this room. If, if you stacked up the, I don't know what just happened there. If you stacked up all the good stuff Nicodemus had done and like all the good stuff you've done, it's different. If you were to stack up your religious credentials or Nicodemus' religious credentials beside yours, like it's a different thing. You would never make it in the Pharisee world because, first of all, you're not Jewish probably. <laughs> but second, what, what do you know about the law and how much of it do you keep every day? 613 commandments, you think you can get that? Because he did. 
How, how much of the Bible can you quote to me right now? Like if we just, if I flip over and fact check you on Deuteronomy, can you just quote the whole book? Because he probably could. But yet Jesus feels the need to have this conversation with this man. If he feels the need to have this conversation with this man, then why, how much more do we need to have this conversation this morning? You see, in reality, I think the reason Jesus was having this conversation with this man is he somehow thought, uh, reading this thing, that it was about how good we could be. He comes to Jesus, actually, with that motive. How, how good do I need to be to get into the kingdom of God? What boxes do I need to check to get into the kingdom of God? Because, I mean, if I read every day, like, I can do that if that's the difference between heaven and hell. I can read every day if that's what I have to do. And, like, I can pray before I eat every time if that's what I have to do to get from, from, from hell to heaven. Like, I can do that. And I, I can be good, like I can watch my language if that's what I have to do to, to get out of hell into heaven. That's kind of a small price, burn forever or quit cussing. I mean, you know, which, which of the two would you pick? And that's what he was looking for. And then Jesus immediately kind of comes on the attack and he's like, hey, let me tell you about salvation. What do you mean? <laughs> I, know, I know about, I know you just you'd be good and kill a lamb every once in a while. That's how that works, right? Going to heaven. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Salvation's different than that. That's being good. It's being moral. But do you really think that you can be perfect? Because it's not about being good. It's about being perfect, right? If God is perfect, you can't just get in with good. I'm a good person, not compared to God. So Jesus says, let me tell you about salvation. To be saved, you've got to be born again. What in the world are you talking about? Well, you've got to be born by the water and the spirit. You're halfway there. Congratulations. Well, how do I get spiritually born? Uh, that's, a, that's a decision made by God. And that is the context that this verse fits into. That's the flow of conversation that brings us into John 3.16. But I memorized it. It's great. It's great, Nicodemus. It's good. Let me, t- let me tell you what Jesus says about how you be born a second time. This is the words of Jesus here, not Brad. John 3.16, maybe you don't even have to look at it, but it says, in, in some of yours, it says, for God so loved the world, that's the one you memorized. But in 16, it says, for God loved the world in this way. This tells us a couple things. One, it tells us that God loved the world, right? God loves the world. Now, this is not the ball of mud that we're standing on, the world. Like, that's beautiful. God can make 73 billion more of them with the sound of his voice. Like, it's a great ball of mud, but it's not the important thing here. When, when he says that he loves the world, the first thing it tells us is, A, that God loves. He's not some distant, like far off God somewhere separated, which is maybe what some of us think or thought. But that God is a personal God that loves. And when he says he loves the world, what he means is he doesn't love the ball of mud, but he loves the people on the ball of mud. That God loves everybody. Everybody that's ever been born, God loves them. Everybody that's ever or will ever be born, like God loves them. God loves the world. The people on this planet, God loves those people. He loves everybody. 
That means all the people you love, God loves. Hallelujah. That means all the people you don't love, God loves. Hallelujah. That means the best person that's ever lived on the planet, the Nicodemuses of the world, God loves those people. But it also means the people on the other side of the spectrum, the people that you hate when you hear their name, right? People that have done horrible things. Hitler was a horrible man. God loved him. I'm get controversial here so you get the effect of it. Um, Osama bin Laden, horrible man. God loved him. Take, take any name you want to, fill, it in, fill in the blank. God loved them. Hitler killed the chosen people of God, and God still loved that man. This is for God so loved the world, everybody in it. But what that also means is it's, it's a personal love. God loves you. God doesn't just see it as a mass. Oh, yeah, I love those people. It's like, I love Gail. That's sitting in heaven right now. I love you. Oh, I love you. Man, I love you too. I love you. I love you. Love you guys. All back there. You, 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 you. Love you. He's saying that this morning to us. Man, I love you. Put your name in it. For God so loved Brad. Or God loved Brad in this way. And that in this way tells us that God didn't just love us with his words, but he loved us with his actions, right? That's amazing to me. God could have just shouted from heaven, right? I love you guys. I'm going to write it in the book. It's going to be on page one, and I'm staying away from you because you're horrible. Could have done that. He could have even, and he did, send people to tell us of the love of God, right? Prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet stepped down on this planet, and they're like, God loves you. Man, he would, he would gather you like a hen gathers its chicks if you would only come. He loves you. Some people say the God of the Old Testament's the God of wrath. That's bull. Read it. It's a God of love. It's always a God of love. Always sending people to draw them back, never coming back. But it says God loved the world in this way. It wasn't just a voice. It was an action. And it says, here's the way. He gave his one and only son. Here's how God loved you. Let's make it personal. Here's how God loved you. He gave his one and only son. God loved you by giving Jesus. It's a proof of God's love. Man, the cross is, is a great picture, but the, the proof of God's love is this that he gave Jesus, right? God loved the world in this way. He loved you in this way. He gave his one and only son. I love one and only. He says the same thing two times just to show you, right? Like there is one son. God didn't just have 47 billion sons up in heaven, and he was like, ah, I like Jesus the least. Let's kick Jesus out. He can go die for those guys. There was one, and it was his only one. One and only son. I love that because, man, the things we define as precious are the most rare. Yeah. Right? Like the reason gold is more precious than limestone is because limestone is in our driveways. There's all kinds of it, right? There's mounds of it, like in quarries all around here. The ground that we stand on is made out of it. Gold, it's not like that. You can't go out in your driveway and be like, oh, gold. Huh. If we actually switched places with those two 
elements. And, and, and limestone was as rare as gold is, and gold was as abundant as limestone is, then gold wouldn't be worth anything. We'd like throw it at each other. Our kids would play with it. The reason diamonds are precious is because there are a few of them. And we're not making more. I was thinking, is it cubic zirconium? Is that the fake diamonds? I I can't tell the difference. Right? Like if you look at them beside each other, I I don't know the difference. Except one's really big, usually. And the others normally aren't. But looking at them, I'm not trained enough to tell the difference. They look the same to me, but one's $7 and one's a whole lot more than $7. And the difference is we can make all this cubic zirconium stuff we want to, like in a lab. We can create it, but, but diamonds, man, there's only so many. And they're precious because there are few. Now see, God could have showed his love to us by giving us lots of stuff, right? And give you lots of money. Well, they print that. Not actually very precious. If they print a lot, it's not worth anything. I could have loved you by sending you gold. Could have loved you by sending you diamonds. That would have been amazing, but I speak it into existence, so it's not really worth anything. I can make as much as I want. I'm going to pave the streets with gold in heaven because it's not worth anything, actually, to me. But, man, there's only one son. See, in the, in the beginning, we know that there was God, right? Genesis 1 and in John 1, we know that in the beginning was also the Word, and the Word became flesh, right? And he was Jesus. So in the beginning, we know that there was God and Jesus, and there would never be another of either one of those. Never be another Jesus. There was one and only one. And it says that God loved the world in this way that he, he gave his one and only son. See, the truth of it is, in heaven, the most precious thing is Jesus. I could have sent angels. I got a lot of angels. I could have sent gold. I paved the streets. I got a lot of gold. If that would have been enough, I would have sent that, but it would have never been enough. So I had to send Jesus, the one and only son. And when God did that, I just want you to know he loved you by opening up the very vaults of heaven and pouring out the most precious thing he had. For God loved the world in this way. He loved you in this way. He gave his one and only son. Some of you guys have kids. Some of you guys have several kids. And if you're not mad, you can't imagine giving one of them up, right? (laughs) Now imagine being God. I don't know how much you love me, but I doubt you'd kill your kid for me. And that's exactly what God did for you. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only precious, one-of-a-kind son. And then it gives us the why. Because whosoever, anybody, right? Whosoever is kind of all-encompassing word. So that whosoever, that means anybody has a shot, right? That means everybody has a chance. That means nobody's counted out. That means everybody can step into that. That means you can step into that. So that whosoever believes, believes just the word meaning has faith, accepts as truth, sees as true. In him, 
shouldn't perish, die, not just physically die, although that's bad, but spiritually die. Over and 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 over again for all eternity. See, death in itself, this body dying, it's a bad gig, right? If I said, hey, do you plan on dying sometime? Everybody would have to lift your hand because you're going to. And that's bad. And if that was the end of it, that would be bad, but it would be over, right? That's not how it works. See, the spirit is different, and you don't kill the spirit. The spirit is eternal. Once God breathed the breath of life into you, it doesn't stop. So what he's saying is here, that thing we need saved from is not bad deeds. That thing we need saved from is not our vocabulary. That thing we need saved from is not to be a better person because we're not. The thing we need saved from is not our inability to read and understand the Bible or our dislike of prayer or our dislike of church. That's not what we need saved from. What we need saved from is the very real, very true wrath of God that awaits those that are sinners, which is you because you're not perfect. The standard is God and you're not him. If you think you are, try to breathe out a galaxy later today. If you can't do that, you're not God. And you're a sinner. And because of that, you're separated from God. And aside from the intervention of God, you're headed towards the wrath of God, which is the death that Jesus is talking about, a spiritual death. For most of us in our brain, that's, I'm going to burn forever in hell. That's what we think of when we think of spiritual death. That forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, I'm going to burn and be tormented. That's horrible. I get that. Not actually what scares me about hell. See, spiritual death is something deeper than that. That's part of it. It's coming along with it. But I don't think the thing you're going to think of in, while you're sitting there is, man, it's hot down here thing you're going to think of is wow because you're going to see him right before you go there and for eternity you're going to realize what you rejected for eternity you're going to realize there was this overwhelming tidal wave of love that God threw at you and now you'll never feel love again there was this overwhelming tidal wave of worth that God declared over you and you will never feel worthy again. There was this overwhelming tidal wave of purpose that God threw at you and you will never feel purpose again. It's the complete emptiness of man, I was made for him and I know that I chose this. That's the wrath. But it says anybody that believes, anybody that has faith, anybody that sees as true, Jesus, the love of Jesus, the love of God, 
won't perish. The wrath is bad. You don't have to experience it. Wrath is horrible, but God made every single opportunity for you to avoid that at the cross, is what it's saying. God wouldn't send people there he loves. That's true. You sent yourself there if you end up there. God wouldn't do that if he's a loving God. That's true. He sent his son so that you wouldn't have to do that. You chose that. Jesus showed up on the planet and bled for you. And you said, it's not enough. God emptied the vaults of heaven for you. And you said, it's not enough. I will not see you as precious. I will not, I will not live my life with you as God. I reject that. I reject that. And when you reject that, you choose you choose wrath. I'd rather burn forever than bow to you. But you never had to. Sister, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but this is this, but will have everlasting life. The never death, right? Live forever. Eternal life. Can, can, I, can I just wrap this up for you this morning? This is what God says in, in John 3.16. Man, I love you so much. Can you imagine this conversation with Nicodemus? Living, trying to do the rules, living, trying to do the stuff, wearing all the religious clothes, doing all the right things, checking all the right boxes, but headed towards the wrath of God. And he comes to Jesus, and Jesus is like, whoa, 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 we got to talk. We got to talk, man. We got to talk about salvation. Because Nicodemus, you're great. You're, you're a good guy, and, and you follow the rules, and you read the word, and you, you know a lot of stuff. But I just want to let you know, it's never been about what you know. It's been about who you know. You, 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 could, you could quote verses in the Bible about the love of God, but you've never experienced the love of God. You and your brain know God loves you, but you've never, you've never lived in that love because every single day, instead of living in the love of God, you're trying to get to God. So you're wasting all your time trying to climb up some ladder and trying to get to some standard of good that's never going to be good enough because perfect is the standard. And because of that, you're headed towards the wrath of God. You're, you're going you're gonna to be separated from God forever, and I know you don't want that because you know stuff about God. And I just want to like slide in the way this morning because salvation is here. You're headed towards the wrath of God and I'm here to intervene. And I just want to let you know, God loves you so much. Can you imagine Jesus saying this to this guy? Like he is God and he's sitting here and he's looking at Nicodemus and, and, and he's not just impersonally, oh yeah, God loves you. He's like passion in his eyes. Man, I love you. I love you so much. And I just want you to know, like, it was, it was the love of that God that, showed, that, that made me show up here. I mean, it was the love of that God that caused me to step down onto this planet and to wait on you here in this garden tonight. It was too important for me to send somebody to tell you. So I came to tell you. Man, I love you so much. And I just want you to know, you're wasting so much time right now. Because you're living in the whosoever acts good enough thing, and that's not in there. And the whosoever reads the Bible enough, and that's not in there. 
and the whosoever wears the religious clothes and joins the Sanhedrin and climbs the ladder of religious power. You're living in that, and I just want you to know it's never been about that stuff. You can quit the Sanhedrin. You can change into comfortable clothes this morning. You you can quit trying to memorize everything for fear that God's going to hate you if you don't. You can get out of all that, and you can just walk into love. God loves you so much. That's why I'm here. And I just want you to know, like, it's not about whosoever does, it's about whosoever sees. And if you'll just see it, Nicodemus, if, you, if you'll just see it, if you'll just see that I love you, if you'll, just, if you'll just come to the reality that I love you, not something somebody said, but like, I'm here to show you. If you'll just come to the reality that I love you, and that love in a couple weeks from now is going to drive me to the cross, and you're going to see that displayed, and you're going to see me stretch out my arms, and you're going to see me bleed for you, you're going to see that. If you'll see that I did all that for love, because I love you, not because I love them or because I love them or because I love them because I love you. And you'll just trust that that's enough. And you can step into life forever. Man, that, that's beautiful to me. Because I just want you to know this morning, that's a conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus, but it's a, wor- it's a verse you've known for your whole life, some of you. Some of you Bible school, two years old, you're coloring a little John 3.16 picture. But I just want to let you know, you can know that verse and never step into everlasting life. You, you can know all the stuff. You can wear all the right clothes. You can whatever. And never step into everlasting life. You can be Nicodemus. And never experience any of this. Because it's not about memorizing it and being good, right? It's not about intellectually deciding, oh yeah, I see that Jesus could be the Son of God, so I'm going to come down here and pray. It's not about any of that. It's about living in that love. Man, God loves me. So today, I'm going to respond out of that love. And God loves me. So today I'm going to live out of that love. See, the, the fuel behind our religious lives can be one of two things. It can be, man, I have to be better, or man, I am loved. As long as you're working from a place of, I need to be loved, man, I would really question if we've ever understood this. But if the fuel is, man, I am loved, that's different. For some of you guys this morning, I, I realize maybe you heard that and you're like, man, I, I, I've never stepped into the love of God and I, because of that I'm living kind of in the wrath of God. And I, Amen, hallelujah. But some of you guys heard that and you shut me off because you thought it was a salvation message. But I just want to ask you this question. Are you living in everlasting life like today? Are you living in abundant life today? Are you, are you living... Anything that doesn't feel like death today. Man, that's a real question. Some of you guys, 
the answer is no, because what you feel is defeat, right? Every day I wake up and I feel defeated. That's not life. Some of you guys wake up every single day and you feel condemnation. That's not life. Man, I'm horrible. I'm horrible. I'm never going to get anywhere. I'm never going to do anything. I'm never going to be good enough. That's not life. Some of you feel like, man, it's over for you, right? God can't do anything with me. God can't use me. I just, in the background, just stay in the background, just be in the background. That's not life. And I'm not saying you're lost because I definitely don't actually believe that. I believe that the devil's really good at playing with our brain. But maybe somewhere you, you got it and then you switched that off into I got to be better. And now you're not living out of, man, I'm loved by God, but man, I hope God loves me. Man, wouldn't it be great if I could get here and God would love me? Wouldn't it be great if I could just get back to where I was? See, the truth of it is, man, God never moved. For God so loves you. God loves you. Before you knew him, God loved you. 2,000 years before you were born, God loved you. Before you said that thing or thought that thing or did that thing or grabbed hold of that thing that's controlling your life right now, before you started living in defeat, before uh, you stepped into condemnation, before sin, shame, and guilt ever got set loose from you, before all those things when you're still living kind of in wrath and under the enemy, God loved you. Your worst day on the planet, God loved you, just like God loved Hitler. He's killing his people, and God would still say, man, I love you, and if I wish you'd get it. And somewhere along the line, you just quit living in that love. Can I just say to you this morning, you are loved. God didn't come into this world, you just keep reading, to condemn the world. He didn't come to condemn you, you were already condemned. He came to set you free from condemnation. You don't have to live in condemnation. Jesus loves you. Sin, shame, guilt, death, defeated on the cross, you don't have to live in that. Jesus loves you. Wrath over, you don't have to choose that. Jesus loves you. See, the truth of it is, man, there's so much stuff packed into that verse right there. And for some of us, man, we hear that, and maybe it's like, man, I need to come into that love because I don't feel like anybody loves me, and I don't feel worth a thing, and I don't feel like I have any friends that really care about me, and my family doesn't care about me, and I've been abused, and I've been beat down, and I've been stepped on, and people have left me, and people have walked away. Well, Jesus never has, and he never will, and you can step into that. And for some of you, maybe you just got distracted by all this other stuff. I've been there. And maybe you heard John 3.16 a little different sometime. The first time it started out, oh, I'm loved and I'm saved and I'm great. And then somebody said, but you don't do this. Tell Nicodemus, leave you alone. (laughs) Because you're loved. And you're worthy. God said you are. And you're precious. Precious enough that he poured out his vaults of heaven on you. He, 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 He bankrupt heaven for you. He sent Jesus for you. This morning, we are loved. Doesn't matter how many likes you get, right? Jesus hit the like button. It's great. Doesn't matter how many shares you get. Doesn't matter how many followers you have. 
doesn't matter what mom, dad, boyfriend, girlfriend, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, no matter what any of them people say, there's a God who created everything. There's a God who spoke everything into existence, and that God declared over your life, I love you. This morning, if you respond to that, I guarantee you there'll be life found in that. You are loved. God's saying this morning to you, I love you. I don't care what you did. I love you. It's never been about what you did. Never been about, it can't be about what you did now. It's not about what you did then. I love you. And you can step into that. Let's pray.